You want to protect that car? You need security. Security, people. That's why Blackview is here with the DR750X two-channel LTE Plus dash cam. It comes with an all-new Blackview SIM card, which means you can easily connect your dash cam to the cloud straight out of the box. The dual-channel Blackview DR750X two-channel comes with both front and rear cameras, so you can enjoy clear image quality day and night thanks to the full HD Sony Starvis image sensors at a wide 100 139 degree viewing angle. Blackview's LTE dash cam is what you really need if you're considering a cloud connected dash cam. It comes with a free Blackview app allowing you to connect to your dash cam directly over the cloud, get impact notifications, download videos to your mobile device, watch live view, and more. The Blackview SIM card, now included with the North American version of the dash cam, is all you need to connect to Blackview Cloud. The SIM card automatically activates upon powering after insertion into the built-in SIM reader. Pick a data plan via the Blackview app and get one month for free. And for the ultimate peace of mind when you're away from your car, pair your cloud-connected dash cam with a parking mode accessory. Blackview automatically switches to parking mode to monitor your parked vehicle. Thanks to the video buffer, the few seconds leading to triggering events are also recorded. When paired with Blackview Cloud, parking mode lets your dash cam save event videos to the cloud in real time as they happen. I love these dash cams. I have recommended them to so many people. I've used them in my own car. They're really high quality. They look good on the windshield, and they give you peace of mind not only when you're driving, but when you leave your car parked, when it goes to service, when you let someone else borrow it, anything. It's full peace of mind. So go to blackview.com slash TST to learn more about the Blackview DR750X two-channel LTE Plus and the Blackview SIM card. That's B-L-A-C-K-V-U-E, blackview.com slash TST. And then use promo code TIRE to get 10% off any Blackview dash cam with free shipping over order for orders over $200. Blackviewvue.com slash TST. TST and then code tire gets you 10% off anything on the Blackview site. We're also brought to you today by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh. No trips to the grocery store or the farmer's market. It's all about convenience, right? So not only of these ingredients fresh, they're pre-portioned, so you're not overbuying or wasting food. You don't even have to measure. The exact amount that you need is right there. You just open the little thing and pour it in when it's time to pour it in. So you don't even have to get your like measuring cups and measuring spoons dirty. It's easy to get filling meals on the table in a snap with options like family-friendly or quick-and-easy recipes. You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options, skip weeks when you need to, change your delivery date or update your preferences on the website or in the HelloFresh app. You can even customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxe experience, or even adding proteins to vegetarian meal options. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals tailored truly to you. 
I love HelloFresh because I love to cook. Uh, I do like to make fresh food in my kitchen. I like the act of cooking, but going to the grocery store can be a waste of time. It's annoying. I never really know what to make. And so having a, something out there that allows me to choose from some options easily, give me a nice, clean, easy to read recipe card, and then I don't have to overbuy spices or ingredients and then end up with a bunch of leftover ingredients that get thrown away, you know, a week later, right? So with HelloFresh, I get the exact right amount of food for these recipes, plus I can save the recipe card, and if I ever want to make it for more people later, like for a party or something, I've got that recipe to go. Saves me time, and it saves waste in my kitchen, clogging up my fridge. So go to HelloFresh.com slash SmokingTire16, and then use code SmokingTire16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh.com slash SmokingTire16, and use code SmokingTire16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And of course, we're always brought to you by Off the Record. Off the Record is a service that helps keep those pesky points off of your record. We all like to drive in a spirited manner, and sometimes the enforcement can be a little overbearing. Not to worry. Don't plead guilty. If you get a ticket, call off the record. They have an amazing track record of getting those points off your record by fighting those tickets within the letter of the law. They have an amazing winning percentage, and if they and they have a money back guarantee. If they can't keep the points off your record, you don't pay. So go to offtherecord.com slash TST or use code TST10 on the Off The Record app. You can download that app and just have it on your phone ready to go. You don't have to pay anything until you need it. Just get the app, the Off The Record app, and just have it on your phone. That way you know if you get pulled over, if you get stopped, if you get ticketed, you have an attorney or a lot of attorney, a team of attorneys ready to go to battle for you. Off the record.com slash TST or use code TST10 on the off the record app. Off the record because friends don't let friends plead guilty. Go to off the record.com slash TST or code TST10 in the off the record app. All right, folks, on this episode of the program, it's a crew show. We are back from our travels talking about Road and Track's route to Vine, talking a little more about the uh, the Newport veteran run and the old cars. We're talking about uh, your questions, of which there are many, and we're talking about all the things we have driven this past week, and there are many of those, too. It is a typical crew show on the Smoke and Tire podcast. Hello, everybody. Hello, live uh, patrons. Hello, people who are not patrons. Everybody else, it's happening. First cruise show in uh, in a minute. I have gone to San Francisco. I drove a couple cars up there on the road and track route to Vine. Zach and I went to Newport, Rhode Island, drove a uh, 1902 Packard, as well as a rented Tiguan that has <laughs> one of the most bizarre stop-start functions I've ever used in a car. Just real quick on that. Mm-hmm. The Volkswagen Tiguan, when you, it has stop-start like many modern cars do. When you put it in park, frequently the engine stops, as maybe it should, right? But obviously the electronics, the radio, that stuff stays on because that's how stop-start works. 
So, but then just because the engine's off doesn't mean the car's off. So you have to press the start stop button to turn the car off when you get out. So I press the start stop button because I'm getting out of the car and the engine turns back on. Yeah. What the fuck is that? I don't know. What kind of shit design is that? That's terrible. Was your foot on the brake when you pressed the button? I don't fucking know. Like I wonder if it's a thing where if your foot's off the brake, it goes, oh, you want me to turn off now. But if your foot's on the brake, it's like, you ready to go somewhere? I mean, the car was in park, so I can't imagine my foot would still be on the brake. True. I don't know. I don't know, but like, that's dumb. That's just pure. And it happened how many times? When you're present? Every time. Almost every time. Yeah. It's like the bridge between, like, in the Rivian, you know, you just get out, or the Tesla, yeah. you just get out and lock it, and it turns off. So are they trying to do a half measure there? I don't know, but that was stupid as hell. It was very weird. Which is too bad, because otherwise the Tiguan was kind of decent. Yeah, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was a fine rental car. Like, as a rental car, it was, like, efficient, cruised at 90 miles an hour. Pretty effort, quietly. Effortlessly and quietly. Yep. But this stupid fucking start-stop feature was unbelievable. And it had buttons inside, unlike a lot of well, modern it VWs. Was like last year's right. car. Right, it was great. Twenty thousand mile. Fucking, they should restart that factory. All the all the all the rental cars have like a million miles on them now because they sold a bunch of cars that they could get money out of, kept a bunch of ones that they couldn't get money out of, and now they're running them harder than they yeah. have and longer than they have. Well, it was Enterprise, not Hertz, right? Hertz just has two cars. It was Enterprise. Yeah, <laughs> for it was the whole Enterprise. nation. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had, uh, I found in just my personal experience that Hertz is by far the most expensive, mm-hmm. by far. Like for the same exact thing, they charge almost double what like Enterprise would charge. Yeah, and Enterprise, I think, has the best balance of, in general, and is historic historical average, not purely right now, best balance of. Quality of vehicle versus uh, price. That's what I've found. And I've very rarely gotten hosed by Enterprise in terms of making a reservation and then arriving and then they don't have what I want. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have what I want, I would always get a free upgrade to the next thing. I've never gotten totally fucked by Enterprise. So obviously it's like a big nameless, faceless corporation that'll fucking squeeze every possible dollar out of you wherever wherever the opportunity comes up. But at least they do it quietly on the back end and not right up Hertz front. Hertz does it at the Hertz counter. Hertz does it right at yeah. the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right at the counter. Um, so, we, you know, I don't know. I don't want to spend too much time talking about a Newport because we did a whole thing with Donald right. Osborne about this will air after that, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we've already talked about uh, veteran cars in, New- in Newport, and, and I hope that uh, you guys found that interesting. I thought it was a really fun experience, totally unique in terms of, uh, uh, you know, things for car people to do. Dr- driving veteran cars is like vacationing at the Galapagos Islands. It's not nearly as exciting as you expect it to be. Uh, but if you've already done everything else, <laughs> yeah. it is the last bit of car heroin uh, that you can do. If you've already done it, tried everything else. Yeah, it is. It's it's at the end of the line of car drugs right. because it's it's the thing that's not going to grab your attention unless you were like raised with it. Right. Because you go, well, it's probably slow, expensive, strange to operate, and you, you're not allowed to autocross or drive fast or take right. the track. Like, why would I do that? Yeah. But, Say it's like, it's just like. When people, I went to the Galapagos a few years ago. Like, what's that like? It's cool if you've already done everything else and you want to go to the end of the planet. You know, not particularly exciting, not exactly what you expected it to be, incredibly niche, um, 
and and way more expensive than it probably should be given what you actually get at the other end of it. But if you've already done everything else, it's a must. If you have the opportunity, you should do it because yeah. it will inform you. It will uh, increase your education in cars in general. Oh, you're talking about veteran racing. Yeah. I was still talking about the Galapagos, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. No, it really it makes you appreciate what a hundred years is, and it makes you appreciate why cars are the way they are now. You know, and in some ways, it really makes you appreciate how uh, how advanced certain things were then. You know, the the H pattern shifter, like I we drove a car that was one hundred twenty years old had an H pattern shifter. True, just like just like H pattern shifters today, like it was. Pretty much exactly the same. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we don't need to talk too much about that. But um, I do want to bring up, on our last cruise show, we talked about my doctor's appointment. We talked about how I went to see a physician, and I used the wrong words to describe what was happening with my weed and caffeine thing, right? I used the word panic attack, right? And that's not actually what was happening. I was combining two drugs. <laughs> that were very effective. And the, the result of that was that I was having crazy amounts of anxiety. But basically I was doing two drugs that were operating exactly as designed. What was not happening was that I was having actual panic attacks. So my, my medical doctor, being a physician, suggested that I go see a psychiatrist and maybe get on meds, right? Anti-anxiety or anti-depression meds. Um, I also talked about how quitting weed made me drink more wine. It didn't make me drink more wine, but the result was that I drank more wine, and then I put on weight, and then I felt depressed. I don't didn't really feel like I used the right words to this doctor, and he got the wrong idea, but that I was going to participate in further study and go see a psychiatrist as opposed to my therapist now. My therapist now, is who I've been seeing for 10 years, is non-medical. Right, psychiatrists have Psychiatrist, an ID and they can prescribe correct, drugs. Correct. Um, I, don't, I didn't want to be on drugs, uh, at least prescription drugs. Um, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're bad. I don't think prescription drugs are, are bad, and there's a lot of people who are helped by prescription drugs, some of my very close friends and family included. But I didn't want to be on more prescription drugs if it wasn't necessary. If it was necessary, I would happily, not happily, but if it was necessary and the doctor said, I really think this could help you, I would, I would do it. Because I listen to fucking doctors because they're smart because I'm not a doctor. So I went to see the psychiatrist. But before I did, I talked about this experience on the show. Want to guess what happened? Yeah, you had a lot of uh, Instagram doctors? I had a lot, a lot of people, over 50 people contacted me, not one of which was a doctor, certainly not one of which was a doctor who examined me personally. And they didn't just share their experience with prescription medication. Hmm. Many of them said that I should get on prescription medication often with specific recommendations of prescription medication. For a few of those, I actually responded and said, you know, it's not a good idea 
to recommend prescription medication to a total stranger. It's probably not a good thing to do. You're not, you don't actually know me. <laughs> you might think you do because you listen to the radio show, but you don't actually know me. You're, cert you're not a doctor. You haven't examined me. Um, and by the time the show aired, I had seen the actual doctor, the actual psychiatrist. And every single one of these emails had a recommendation to take a prescription medication. Mm -hmm. You know who fucking didn't? The doctor that examined me. The, I sat down for two hours with a hoity-toity Beverly Hills psychiatrist who prescribes medicine to people every day. And after two hours and me telling this dude my whole life story, being totally honest with everything I could think of, telling him how I was feeling, the story of the weed and the coffee, the ups and the downs. How I love I, that children's book, How I way. felt down. The Berenstein Bears smoke weed and drink the coffee. The weed and the coffee. And here, and what <laughs> this, this is too much indica. And what this guy said was that I do not have a chemical imbalance that he thinks need to be, need, needs to be addressed with prescription medication. Maybe I should try microdosing psilocybin, which I think is an interesting suggestion, uh, and that and that folks he sees that have either PTSD or poor self-image, which is what I have. Poor self-image is not a chemical imbalance; it's just you're you're from years of programming from right. a variety of inputs. You don't like yourself, right? Right. Um, Specifically, I don't like how I look. It's not even how I don't. It's not like I think my my. I don't like my brain. I don't. I don't like how I look. I don't like myself in the mirror. I don't like myself on camera. And and there's ways to address this that, according to, fucking hoity-toity psychiatrist, uh, is not chemical. And so what was interesting was the first couple of people that, um, tried to tell me to take prescription medications. I, I engaged them and I said, you probably shouldn't tell people to do this. It's, it's the, if you walked up to a stranger on the street and said, you should be on Prozac, they probably wouldn't take that well. And I, I realized that people were trying to help, mm -hmm. but you just shouldn't do that. I mean, it's, it's not helpful, it's counterproductive. And you got to understand a bit of boundaries. You can, if you say, look, I can relate. I appreciate you talking about your struggles. If you do, you could say, I'd rather you didn't talk about your struggles. If you didn't, if that, you know, those are fine. But to say to someone you don't know when you're not a doctor and you haven't examined them, you should be on these drugs is not a good thing to do. And I didn't react so well to that. I wasn't like fucking yelling and screaming at people, but I was saying that you shouldn't do that. Their reactions to my saying, you know, you shouldn't do that every time were completely out of proportion. It went from, I'm a huge fan. I hear your struggles. You should try these drugs. And me going, I, I appreciate where you're coming from, but you probably shouldn't do that too. You're a fucking worthless piece of shit. I never liked you anyway. You're only where you are because your parents are rich. Zach doesn't even like you. Fuck you. Did they forget to take their meds that day? Well. <laughs> it seems like they might have. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it, it was a very interesting over counter reaction 
which sort of led to me tweeting a few things that I don't take back. Uh, and, not, and I didn't name anybody by name, and I'm not going to, but, but, but I found it very interesting how willing people were to play doctor to someone they don't know and not to really understand that you shouldn't play doctor to somebody you don't know. But I think, I think this is more a function of the social media relationship in that people think because they have access to someone that they are their friend, right? Like yeah. if you're sitting at dinner with friends, even if they're like acquaintances yeah. and, the, and the subject comes up of like exercise, someone goes, you know what I've been doing? I've yeah. been doing these ACL workouts or I've been doing this HIT stuff. Like sure. it's just, it's what we do. Cause we're like, well, this worked for me. It makes me feel good. So right. maybe it will make you feel good too. Right. But I think the problem is that the social media makes it seem, makes everyone think that they are at a dinner table with this person. Yeah. And and that just clouds the whole thing. Right. Well, and, and look, I, my job is to say, I like this car, and maybe you will too. Mm -hmm. But when someone asks for car advice, I go, well, what are your needs? I throw it back to them. That's why we, you know, we try to focus on what are your needs. And so with drugs, prescription medication, for you to say this worked for me, it totally negates that you're not me. Your chemical composition isn't me. Your history isn't me. Your diagnosis isn't me. And so that, that like, that's like, if you ask me about a fucking, Matt, what car should I buy? Well, uh, and I go into me, I go a Lamborghini Countach. And you go, well, but I don't, I don't need that. And I go, well, tell me what you need and I'll try to help. But like, it's not you the know, last time I bought a Countach. I had a psychotic episode because yeah. it didn't work very well with my M3 ownership. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, you know. <laughs> it's so I, like, I just like, and I think people do enjoy when I talk about mental health. Uh, I I get a lot of nice notes from people saying that I appreciate when you talk about mental health and and like, I just it's it's. The follow-up was to that is that I don't need to be on prescription medication. Maybe I will try microdosing psilocybin if it doesn't interfere with my job of driving sports cars. If I can find a way to to not have those two overlap, because I certainly don't want that. Um, and maybe I'll just stick to therapy and and whatever. But but um, but I just if you're out there and you just don't do that, <laughs> please. Like. If you want to engage with me about cars or my cats or fucking random ass shit, like I respond to a lot of DMs. Like I'm pretty accessible. I if if you email me or, or DM me and have a question, like I'm pretty accessible. And if you're happy that I talk about this shit because it somehow makes you feel like you are not alone, then that's fucking great. Like I'm happy about that. But like, like just because you listen to the radio show or watch car videos, like just please. Don't be the guy that is pretending to be my fucking doctor. I have those. Like, they, I pay them, they have medical degrees, and they examine me in the way, in a, in a clinical diagnosis way. And everyone who pretended to be a doctor on the internet was wrong compared to what the actual doctor who saw me fucking said. So there's yeah. that. It's a very individual thing. It, it is. is. You, you, you shouldn't recommend <clears throat> prescription medications to people that... That you're, they're not you. Everybody's different. We're all little snowflakes. Yeah. We're all totally unique. <laughs> no. 
So anyway, um, you know, that that happened and that was fucking occupying my mind for a couple of days because I was just like, God, the the counter reaction to me saying, please don't diagnose me if you're not That's a doctor. That's really strange. The flip is the weird. Flip, the flip was like so, so aggressive, so aggressive. And my and I wasn't. I wasn't aggressive in saying you shouldn't do this. I'm just saying it's, it's a bad habit. You should you, you should not do this. It's it's bad. You're not a doctor, which is obvious. But then it turned into you're a complete piece of shit, and I never liked you well, anyway. The problem with written language, as we've discussed before, is there's no tone behind it. So if you write, you shouldn't do this. You're not a doctor. You're saying it to me like, hey man, you shouldn't do this. You're just not a doctor. But they might read it as. You should not be doing this. You're yeah. not like you are not this. You're not worthy of giving this advice. Yeah. Like they might take it a different way, and that's when everything just crashes. In yeah. Place. Well, you know, there's a good way for that not to happen, and that's to not be a doctor. <laughs> just I, I uh, not even just for me going forward. If that if that's if anybody else, just don't do it. They're just you know ignore some DMs also. I mean, yeah, that's true. But like it was a lot of them. It's a lot. It was a lot, and so. Um, yeah. Um, what the fuck else? Uh, I got to, uh, on the road and track route to Vine thing, mm -hmm. I got to do 500 more miles in the Polestar 1. Still a lovely car. Still very enjoyable. Didn't didn't uh, didn't uh, take it on the track. Um, I didn't really want to take it on the track. But as a road car, to do 500 miles in, very nice. It's a good performance car. I mean, it. Yeah. We ran it around Chuck Walla for proving grounds, and it shocked the lap time. Shocked us. Yeah. Very fast. Yes. Great brakes. And you know, I was leading. Uh, everyone seemed to have a really good time. The route I made really worked out. The Rallista app worked flawlessly. I really like that app for for planning routes. Mm -hmm. It works really really well. Uh, nobody got lost. You know, having the radios was was fun. Um, I seem to be good at finding a, a pace that doesn't bore the enthusiasts, but also doesn't freak out the the non enthusiasts. The right. um, Travis said the very first day he was like, "Listen, when I led this thing last year, I got yelled at at the halfway point of the first day for going way too fast." So, so <laughs> good good tip. Um, <laughs> uh, who yelled at him? The, uh, he said every. I said who yelled at you, and he said everybody. Oh wow! All right. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Um, and you know the roads were great. the The weather was great. The hotels, you know, Hotel Yontville and, and Auberge de Soleil were badass. They're great hotels. Uh, Bruce Canapa, uh, we had a great like Q and A with him. He told the whole story of the Porsche nine fifty nine from you know nineteen eighty seven till today, and and how show and display became a thing, and and then gave us a tour like. I thought the tour of his, of Canapa Motorsport was going to be like 15 minutes. It was like two hours. The place is big. We went over every single car in the place. Every race car, every historical, like everything. Wow. We did like a fucking, it was like, a, like, like the, the staff was kind of doing the, you know, wrap it up. But like people were just way into every little thing. Of course, because everything yeah. in there is special, yeah. interesting. And some of it's taken apart. So you get to see parts of the car you yeah. would never get to see on the street. Yeah, it was yeah, super cool. cool. Really interesting. If you're if you're up in Northern California, Santa Cruz area, uh, it's a must. 
uh, to stop in at Canapa and see their just their even just their for sale showroom and their museum is mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Even if you don't go in the race shop in the back, and if you ask, they'll probably let you go in the race shop in the back. But you know, there was like twelve nine fifty nines there. It's amazing. Uh, Bruce said he would come do the show um, uh, when next time he's down in L.A. Cool. So we'll get we'll get Bruce Canapa on for sure. And uh, and Graham Ray Hall was there. Uh, we were giving laps around Sonoma. It was like the two people giving hot laps are Graham Ray Hall and Matt Farah. I was like, Jesus Christ! Like, put not... the timer down. Put yeah. the timer down. <laughs> yeah. Well, Graham, you know, he was in an NSX because he's at you know he's Acura um, uh, for Indy, uh, and then I drove the uh, CT4 Blackwing, uh, which was Mike Guy's you know cruising car. Um, and the Blackwing on track, awesome, 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 awesome. The car was. Not just quick, it was very quick. Um, it was so balanced. Um, you know, Sonoma is a really fun track. Mm-hmm. It's got a ton of elevation. It's got multiple negative G uh, over crest corners. It's got really high speed S's downhill. Yeah. Um, it's got two different drift corners. The last corner and then the corner up by the drag strip at the end of the drag strip are both like drift corners. Um, and uh, this thing, I lapped this thing. I probably ran 65, 70 laps. I mean, I was giving people rides. Wow. And so I was, and it was, you know, I was. Having fun. Just having, I yeah. was having fun. It's a good uh, work know, day. Uh, it was, that was a great work day, giving people rides around Sonoma. And, uh, and I was not showing any mercy on the car at all. The brakes held up phenomenally i was really getting into the brakes and they they held up so well um the tires held up really well um the steering you know i didn't it didn't get sloppy throughout the day uh, i drove with the shocks set to soft all day mm, okay. it was just you know i was in v mode with everything maxed out except That's for the shocks. shocks yeah um actually i had the brakes in the middle the brakes all the way at the top were actually two too jabby. Why did you run the shocks in soft? Because uh, Sonoma, to my memory, is not that bumpy a place. The track itself isn't bumpy, but it got a little jittery if you wanted to take curbing mm, in with okay. the shocks and stiff. It was nicer uh, in soft. And you had how many people in the car? Only one. Myself oh, okay. and one. Right. I wasn't running wasn't four. four. Okay. No, I, I can't really have people in the back seat of that car and be comfortable. Hmm. Like, oh, right. if four tall. people wanted yeah. to go to dinner, I would... I would be fine, but like, I, if I'm driving on a racetrack, I ne- I can't be jammed against the firewall and you know and not be able to move properly. Yes, and, and riding in the back of a car is just not get that sick. fun. It's you, just you, you don't you're, you're always leaning over, going, "Where are we going? Yeah, Where's the yeah. turn?" It's not fun. Yeah, it wasn't. So we I just did one at a time, um, and they had those KTM crossbow race cars from uh, Race of Champions too. Whoa. They were giving people some laps in those. It was pretty sweet. Um, but that that CT4, I mean, what an unbelievable performance! It's such car. a good car. It was great. It yeah. was great. I mean, if I if I wanted a, a one car fits all for really everything but snow, I mean, what an amazing amazing performance car that is, and such a good value. Yeah, seventy five thousand dollars. That thing was ripping around the track, and I was really really getting into the brakes really hard. The turn in was excellent. The balance at the limit. Uh, was excellent. You knew exactly when the back end was going to mm-hmm. start stepping out and how much. It never would really get away from you. Um, and uh, it was really, really good. I was kind of, I don't want to say I was bummed to go back to the Polestar one because to just just drive around, you know, even on curvy roads, the Polestar was, was lovely. And because I had to have um, a radio in my hand 
to drive. You want not, not having yeah. to shift was right. helpful. Um, but uh, but I was kind of jealous that Mike Guy got to got to drive that thing. It well, was the good thing though, but you've already done many Canyon days. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the uh, the CT4 mm-hmm. here, and now you guys do the track experience. But you're probably cranked up on track adrenaline. You're like, I want more. I was so tired after that. You know, it was. Uh, and we found some really beautiful roads. Um, people people on that event said on on day one and two, the first day one and then day two, they were like, that's the best driving day I've ever had. And I was like, wow. I mean, I was on first. I was like, wow, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that that happened. Like, I'm glad we could provide that experience for you, and you feel like you're getting your money's worth. And I've done my job you know, well, Mm -hmm. but like, also you should get out and go drive your cars more (laughs) because this was great, but it definitely was not the best driving day I've ever had. And, uh, be funny if they were from California and you're like, you could do this. People came from all over, dude. One couple fucking drove from Indianapolis. Whoa. Um, people, people drove from Utah. People drove from Arizona. Um, a couple people came, came from further, but shipped their cars. Some people came from Tennessee and shipped a Ferrari. Um, and, what and was the most expensive car, and what was the cheapest car? The most expensive car was a Ferrari 812 GTS that the owner told me he paid 200 over to get. <gasps> so that's like a $750,000 purchase. And they were very nice people, and they had this, – this couple, this couple was a young couple, uh, very, very nice people. Uh, they had matching Ferraris. The GTS was hers. Actually, his was a Pista, 488 Pista, and they had matching uh, 6.4 Hemi Wranglers also. As, wow. Yeah. And they were both wearing Pateks. These were some these were some boss wow. some boss individuals. I, I don't ask what people do for a right, living right, right. when they're when they're flashing cash like that. And they were mellow folks. They weren't cool. they weren't obnoxious. They were super cool, really enthusiastic about the cars. Did um, they buy it from a dealership for two hundred over do you yeah. know? Or was this someone flip oh, wow. No, I got it from a dealer. That was what that was what the dealer wanted to uh, ADM. The supply chain is yeah. a very big problem. Uh, there was there was Two Ferrari 812s, one a super fast and one a, one a GTS. There was a 488 Spider. Um, those were the most expensive cars. Then there was a uh, quite a few 911 variants. There was a, a nice turbo. There was a GT2 RS, uh, 2019 GT2 RS. No, you don't see those very often. Uh, we see them. Yeah, see I mean, anywhere day. outside of LA, you, you, yeah. know, you don't. But interestingly, at Sonoma, you know, Polestar was a sponsor. That's mm-hmm. why I was driving the the Polestar One. So at Sonoma, they brought out like six Polestar Twos, the electric crossover, mm-hmm. and they had an autocross. Um, and actually, they were being cool. They were letting people take the. There were some lead follow sessions on the track where people were driving their own cars, and then me and Graham were doing hot laps. But they let people take the Polestar twos on the track, which was which was nice of them. Mm-hmm. And there was also an autocross where you would run. First, they were running your own cars in the autocross, and then they were running the Polestar twos. The Polestar two. Every single person was quicker in a Polestar 2 than they were in their own car. Wow. Every person. Not a one. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, now, I wonder if that's – because I, I know that we, we filmed the Polestar 2 at Lime Rock, and it, again, like the one like surprised us with yeah. the lap time. Yeah, it's quick. It's quick, and it's got amazing torque vectoring yeah. and electric motors and you know torque from zero. All those things like make it surprisingly quick. Yeah. Was this a function of – 
the car being athletic, or do you think it was it's more comfortable? Sorry, it's more approachable than an eight twelve. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think yeah, stuff like things. stuff like an eight twelve. You know, there was two kinds of cars on this thing: supercars, right, and and kind of heavyish GT cars. There was an RS6 Avant and an E63 wagon, and you know, and GT type mm-hmm. t- uh, type of cars. And um, I think there's a couple things happened. One. It, people were willing to beat on the press cars long, harder than they were willing to drive their own cars. It's funny. So that, yeah. that definitely that. Nothing's faster than a borrowed car. Uh, two, the instant torque and the all-wheel drive in this type of s- low-speed handling environment, um, you know, really it's just helps. better, really, better really suited. Yep. It's just better suited. Um, you know, a, a uh, an eight twelve GTS is not what you'd want on an autocross. Um, even if it is, you know, around the the actual track, it would obviously be much quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think that it's the the Polestar Two is very well suited to that particular activity. Which, by the way, might be uh, why they did that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they did that. They, they probably, probably called it. it. Yeah, it would shine. And one uh, one participant on the uh, rally, our friend Tony A. Uh, who was a WCCS member, and that's how he ended up on the rally, and the one who sends us the booze yeah. and, and frequently comments and, and as, a, as a patron, et cetera, bought a Polestar 1. And not only did he buy a Polestar 1, uh, he bought one of the marketing cars. That He bought it on the fucking rally. Like he drove the, he drove the one I was driving and then, and then, and then he was like, over to the Polestar person yeah, and, and was, was, was like, like, I would like one of these. Yeah, so not only did he buy one on the rally, the one he bought is the one I reviewed a year and a half ago. <laughs> Same VIN. And the one you wanted to buy. The one I it? tried to buy that, and wasn't and, and wasn't uh, available at the time. That's funny. So he ended up with it. Did you go up to the Pulsar people and you're like, I guess uh, this car became available, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Well, they were like, we got more. <laughs> they were like, you want to you want to buy one now? I was like, no. You're like, I'm no, okay. I'm mad at you now. I'm okay I don't want to go out with you. If, if Hannah didn't need a, if if we didn't have the Ford, I would have bought it for sure. It would have been lovely. It was a great, great place to spend four days. That Polestar one, yeah, very nice car, really nice car. Although I had to put my fucking Carl Friedrich suitcase in the back seat because it wouldn't fit in the little ass trunk. Wait, the trunk is your Carl Friedrich like carry on size or is it it's, the bigger one? It's the size of the one that you have. It's okay, that one. Yeah, if it was carry on, it would have fit. Yeah, I could only fit the the camera case and my backpack in the trunk. That's all that would fit. Yeah, it's pretty tight. It's a in small there. trunk. It's not. It's not good for that. Fortunately, uh, Road and Track had a luggage van, so I only had to do the suitcase in the back seat on the very first and the end of the very last day, and it wasn't like flopping around on all the good driving roads. Right, you got to seatbelt it in anyway. Yeah, but, it was yeah. not. It was not good. And actually, you know what super sucks about the Polestar One? It's by far the worst thing about this car. Not even the trunk space. To to get the you you can only get the front seats to lean forward and move up. With a button, there's no quick quick release handle. That's right, and you it's not a one touch either. You have to hold the button. Yeah, and which is really dumb. The car has to be turned off. For it won't work with the car turned on. Really? Yeah, you got to turn the car off, get out of the car, and then hold this button for literally 25 seconds. And it's 140. And grand? both ways. No, that's a lie. It only forward. If you then press the memory recall button, you have to hold that too. Hold the memory recall button; it will go back there. 
That yeah. is very that's silly. A, that's a real oversight. That is a big yeah. oversight. Yeah, it's not, that's not good. They forgot to order the one-touch they switch. For, they forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Weird, right? You think they could update that with programming, right? Because, like, right? when would you ever need it in between your memories function and all the way forward? It's not like you ever want to stop it halfway. Well, then it's just in the way of both. <laughs> like, no one can get in the back right. and you can get in the front. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you should just have one touch button that pushes it forward all the way. Yeah. And then of one course. touch button that puts it back to where it was. They should be able to do it. I'd hope there's an over-the-air update they could do because it's Maybe. like it's I don't computer think, that controls the things. There's no the over-the-air on Polestar 1. Polestar 1. Really? Does, no, Polestar 2 is connected car. Polestar 1's not a connected car. All right, then bring it into the shop and it's plug a plug thing in. Plug that shit in, yeah, right? Yeah, just someone write some code. Yeah. That's really silly. Um, but up in Sonoma, I can't recommend highly enough. Uh, Mount Veder Road, really fun. Lake Berryessa, the lap around Lake Berryessa was fucking epic. Oh, I know. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yep. It was great. Lake Berryessa and... Uh, <laughs> Pope Canyon Road, awesome, uh, great, great driving roads up there. Really good, uh, good tarmac. So, um, go to roadandtrack.com/experiences. Um, they have a bunch of other events coming up. They're doing one up in uh, in Seattle, uh, Dirtfish. They're doing a thing in Austin, uh, including a Coda a Coda Track Day. Um, they've got what else you got going on there, Zach? On the uh, hang on, I gotta do a thing. Something happened. Some technical difficulty? Mm-hmm. Huh? Okay. There's a, uh, yeah, there's an Austin thing. There's a, uh, a thing at, that includes a half day at Dirtfish Rally School. Uh, they're doing a thing in Italy. Um, what else we got? What are the other ones here? Austin City Limits, the Rally one. There's the uh, another East Coast uh, Hudson one. Uh, there's a Marinello one. The one in Italy, unfortunately, is not a driving event. It's a bus tour, mm. which personally I was a little disappointed with. Um, and then they've got this uh, track club thing they're doing. And the track, if you join their track club, you get a lot of exclusive uh, offers. And you get to go to P. Cody and... Uh, Oh, and watch how they make the sausage. Yeah, and I think you get like ride-alongs on track with the in the P. Cody cars and stuff like that. That'd be cool. So, um, yeah, I was uh, I was I thought the event was run really well. You know, me and Travis and Bob Sorkanich was there. Dan Pond was there. Um, my guy was there. You know, the the R and T. And I'm definitely fucking forgetting somebody. I me. I'm forgetting. I'm if I've just forgotten you, I'm really sorry. I'm blanking right Bill now. Bill Gates. Yes. Oh, from Road and Track. From sorry. someone from Road and Track. Oh, um, John Hurst. <laughs> William Randolph Hurst. The we brought 14th. his. We brought his ashes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we haven't really covered. Uh, I mean, we got the video up of the Macon T. We haven't done a crew show. Oh since yeah. Since Macon T. Um, that was a uh, a fun little trucklet crossover hatchback. You know, I don't know about. Uh, a lot of people don't feel comfortable with the $65,000 for a four-cylinder Porsche. Um, but I, I think actually it's a, it's a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent value. I mean, it really, it's, it's, it feels like a real Porsche. It does. Uh, Other than the engine, does. like, yeah. Yeah. And the engine is like, as we say in the video, it's not like the V6 engine is the star of the Macan S. It's not like you'd buy a Macan because its engine is best in class in really any of the trims. Yeah. It's you know not, what I mean? Well, it's also not an exciting engine. It, right. You're buying it for the number. It has more power. It has X more torque. Right. Yay. But you're not going to listen to it. It's not exciting to right. hear or drive. It, it also it handles power. well and feels like a Porsche right. and works like a Porsche. 
and PDK makes it feel like a Porsche. Yeah. It's not a it's not a it's an effective engine, but it's not a super special engine. So to to go from one effective but not super special engine to go to a smaller effective but not super special engine doesn't feel to me like that much of a downgrade. It's not like it's not as much of a downgrade as like we did in the, in the Cayman T to go from the Cayman S engine to the base motor in the Cayman T. That does right. feel like a downgrade. It does. And yeah. so and the 911 it does not feel like a downgrade. Um so you know the Macan T it, it handled really well, it rode really well, it was ma- made really well. It shifted. The shift response was excellent because PDK is great. Yeah, I thought the aesthetic changes look good. Like yeah. it, it looks, it looks more special than it is. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's just a little bit above like the base price, but it looks like, I mean, it looks really good. It's got it's blacked out. It's got black trim. It's got these great accents on it. I mean, it looks like a really cool car. Mm-hmm. And then you get in it, and I mean, it's an all black interior basically, but everything you touch <clears> is high quality. So you you have a pretty luxurious sporting experience. I know some people were a little bit miffed that it's the same engine as you get in like a Golf R or GTI yeah. or whatever, and the Golf R gets more power. So one, you could probably get a tune on this thing if you don't mind doing that. Um, and then you probably have more power than a Golf R. But I understand where they're coming from. It's like this is a $65,000 car and the Golf R for 20 grand less makes more power and it's the same engine. But if you tune this up too high and now you're bumping up against the v6 car mm-hmm. and like so much of what oems do in terms of pricing is about not eating their own foot right yeah but overall overall it was a it was a very nice product um it didn't i mean you know obviously 65 grand is a lot of money but it didn't feel overpriced on, on it to me i mean i thought that the you don't you're not using even with a smaller engine it's not like you're using all the power all the time mm-hmm. i mean every day driving it's not any different than an S. It just isn't. Right, right. You know? So that's the thing is like, if you don't drive, if you don't hoon the thing all the time, yeah. then you're basically getting the same living experience yeah. as someone who's spent 80 or 100 grand. Right. So I think that's a way to look at it for yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. It was a very nice thing. Go check out our video. Uh, it's up now. It went up on Tuesday. That's why we had to shift our air schedule mm-hmm. a week. And, and the Rivian got, got bumped from Wednesday to Thursday. So the Rivian is... Uh, is up now. Mm-hmm. Um, got a dispatch from the desert. Did you see on on Instagram what's going on with my Ferrari? Yeah. All kinds of fucking weirdness with my Ferrari. Donnie took it apart. Um, you know his assi- his original assignment was, uh, you know, we're rebuilding the suspension, so shocks, bushings. Uh, we're we're doing new brake pads and discs, and my driver's side door panel was a little loose, so I wanted him to fix that and put in my my new stereo. Uh, my my Bluetooth stereo, as well as uh, fix the brake booster. The brake booster was dying. So, as Donnie does, you know, he gets into the car and he finds shit. So, he found that my door cards were being held on with literal Bondo and duct tape. Um, my brake booster had a... Uh, there's the duct tape. It's like a sheet of duct it's tape. so crazy. They made an actual sheet of duct tape. It's really, the pictures are on my Instagram. It's just ridiculous. Like, if anyone's ever taken off a door card, if you haven't, when you remove your armrest and all that stuff, usually you take that off and there's like a sheet of plastic or something mm-hmm. protecting the door mechanisms and windows and everything behind that. Right. This, if you cut it diagonally in half and replace half that plastic with straight up duct tape, yeah. that's what it looks like, yeah. which is Insane. Yeah. If they'd used a complete garbage bag, it would have been better. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, 
So there's that. Uh, and then behind uh, my brake booster, um, say, look, look on the one on the right. Go back, Zach. The one on the right, the sheet of duct tape is on the floor. So there was a sheet of duct tape on the right as well. Both door cards had duct tape uh, behind them. Um, that's my fuse panel, which that's the, the go back. The, 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 the thing with all the square boxes on it and the wires going into it, that's the front of the fuse panel. Right, that you would see if you take off the front of the dash. Right. And then the next photo is the back of that panel, which looks like it has had nuclear waste spilled on it. Like it's got like third degree burns. Yeah, the yeah, the plastic like bubbled or something. Yeah. So, you know, even though Donnie did my complete so fuel weird. system recently, right? Did all the memory did all the fuel lines, they went to JPL for palladium coating. Right. All new injectors, all new wires, all new this, all new that. It still was cold starting like shit. And so Donnie was like, I don't get it. Everything in your engine is new. So he took this off. This oh, is apparently a very no. common problem. And it, it wasn't necessarily something. It, this is like the se- it's not like he missed it the first time. Like this is like the second level of examination. Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't normally replace the entire fuse box. Um, but it is a known issue that these fuse boxes melt. And so we wow, have to man. we have to replace. Uh, they rebuild this panel. Okay. So it's been sent out for rebuilding, and he thinks that is actually what's causing the bad. So it's cold not getting start. the correct electrical signals. Correct. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then um, this wiring was behind my radio. It's very creative. And I don't. I can't even describe what this fucking wiring is. Uh. Okay. Well. It's like for example, there's a wire coming out of somewhere. It doesn't really matter where it's coming from, and it has a white connector on it. And instead of getting a matching one that you'd clamp around the wire it's going to, and then you'd plug them into each other, you know, like, uh, you know, when two people love each other very much. Uh, instead, they've used a 90-degree clamp for some reason, <laughs> and then they've just clamped onto a wire that was not stripped. Which, That's then exposed so, on the end of it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. So there's actually wire poking out. It's like if you... Um, if you grabbed a garden hose with your hand, that's yeah, what yeah. it's like a blue <laughs> hand that grabbed this garden hose and that cuts into the I wire. I think that, and that thing is called it. a scotch lock. Okay. I've n- I haven't heard that term before, but multiple commenters referred to that as a, a scotch lock. It's so weird. They use it in a bunch of places, but they don't use it the same way in every place. <laughs> yeah. That is odd. So, there are so many exposed wires in this photo, dude. Yeah, it's no, it's super sketchy. Like, where did it, there's three wires that don't go anywhere, but yeah. they're clipped off and they're not capped. So it's it's massively jankified back there. So Donnie's like a patrolman that then looks further and they're like, you should be a detective. Yeah. You know, good job on this. So and then behind the behind my brake booster, uh, which he removed and is replacing. Uh, there's the pedal assembly with the booster attached to it, mm-hmm. the master cylinder. Uh, behind that is the remnants of what we believe is a mouse nest. Ew, there's dude. no, there's no. They didn't find any mouse corpses, <laughs> but that Ugh. is like that is a mouse nest. It looks like two people took a shit in the same spot. Yeah, with, and they had different diets. Right, and then they they dried together. Yeah, um, so, dark brown and light brown. So that's this awesome. is like under the dash. It's uh, right. That's, it, isn't this an HVAC? No, it's not. It's not the dash. It's uh, go go in the next the next picture. The next picture shows you where it is. It's in the frunk. So you're looking at you're looking at that. You the that the that steering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can see the steering shaft there, and you can see the HVAC ducting. Mm-hmm. That the HVAC ducting is up against the the front firewall there. Right. So it's okay. in it's in the front of the car. Um, 
in the in where the frunk would be if that frunk was the pedals drop down the pedals drop down on here? that assembly there yeah yeah oh okay all right yeah. i got it so it's next to where the yeah it's gross right it's really gross it's super gross i mean it's it, nice there, it no, there you can see where it is the windshield is at the top of the photo there so it's in it was in the frunk all right and covered behind you know the brake booster assembly normally goes right there yeah so, so you're not going to see it you don't see it of course yeah so many adventures were had are had in my Ferrari. You are going to end up with a rebuilt Ferrari soon. It's basically you're basically doing a full restoration. Slowly. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. and um, you know, it is what it is. Um, I'm not like mad. It's I mean I'm not mad because like I truly believe that I could have bought a much more expensive one and found a bunch of this garbage anyway. Yeah. There's no, it's not like, well, if I spent 90 grand on one, that I wouldn't have found this shit. Like, my my Lamborghini had some janky shit in it too. And that's a, that was a premium car at a premium price. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just what happens with these cars because they got so cheap. They've spent 15 years worth nothing that they just weren't worth taken care of properly mm -hmm. and now that they are worth something again it's worth it to make to get them right um, and i think there's also an element like depending on where they were owned in their life they may not have always been in a city like los angeles that has access to multiple top tier yeah. restoration shops for exotic cars so right. sometimes they're going to a shop that works on foreign cars yeah. and has some experience but like you know you just don't know the quality of work that they're going to get yeah i mean Obviously, we've learned because my major service paperwork was totally fraudulent. That's different. I mean, I mean yeah, that was a, that was an indicator that maybe this car wasn't as taken care of as it should have been. Um, but the mice, like that, happens to new cars. It's yeah. just they find a place that is warm and sheltered. My yeah. my brother has a 2014 uh, what C Max. Yeah, and. He'd been gone for six months, and he came home, and they had eaten the wires. Yeah, because the wires, the wrap, the wires are wrapped in soy. That's yeah. common now. Oh. They use like a soy blend, and mice <laughs> eat wire housing. Oh, and so sucks. he had to take it in and got like um, insurance paid for the whole thing. Oh they my had God, to completely the bill rewire the been, whole car. Oh, what yeah. a nightmare! Yeah, he sold it afterwards. Yeah, it'll probably never work as well again. Probably, there's almost no way they can get that right. I mean, he went to Ford dealership and they Still. replaced the things. Yeah. And then he was like, well, I'm not driving this car. I should get rid of it. Yeah, well, my, yeah. when my dad had that uh, BMW 7 Series and they got T-boned in it like three, four months after buying it. And the, the, the insurance company, which should have totaled it out but didn't, they sent it to BMW and it was like a $50,000 repair. It was like, whatever it was, it was like two grand south of being totaled. Like, my dad got so fucked on this deal. And they had, that car's got like 100 miles of wiring in it. Yeah. And they had to rewire the whole car. And it was never right again. It was a complete disaster for the entire remainder of their ownership experience. There's just so much wiring. I mean, in these considering cars. I've driven brand new press car BMWs and had the screen turn off yeah. while driving, I'm not totally surprised. Yeah. But I know but, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um so like, you know, it's a it's a fun adventure. Uh my door panels have all been sent out to get re remade 
Um, new trash bags for the liners. All new trash bags. Nice. Uh, and then he sent out my center gauge cluster to get redone while he was. He's like, fuck it. Uh, you know, we might as well. The the clock worked. It's like an analog quartz clock, but it was like a little hazy on mm-hmm. the thing. So he sent it out some nice clear oh, gauges. Cool. Yeah. Um, he's doing the fucking radio. He's the suspension. I mean, the suspension is like no problem. Like he has. It's just famous Con- last words. It's, well, it's Coney shocks and bushings. He has them all. The brake booster. It's he, just a door car. He has all the parts. I hope you know, you're right. Oh, it'll be no. It'll be like it'll be a couple months. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like yeah. it's gonna be a couple months. Oh, like wow. I don't. I mean, I don't give a shit. I'll drive something else. Like whatever. It's not. It's, it is what it is. It's actually convenient to always have one car at Donnie's. Um, but uh, and you know, parts cost money and labor costs money. But what I don't have to do is pay for some shops Beverly Hills rent. You know, he's out in the desert. He's by himself. I don't have to pay for some shop to have a receptionist right, and right, have, right. you know, all these other employees. It's it's just him. And so it it ends up being, um, you know, not cheap, but but reasonable uh, f- considering what we're, we're talking about. Especially vintage the quality Ferrari. of the work. Yeah. And the quality of the work, like, I just know it's going to be good when it's done. And more importantly, like... What I've come to really appreciate about that Ferrari is that it has enough miles on it that I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, with this E46, it's like I kind of am a bitch about it. Like, when I get in it, I, like, don't touch. I I sit around the bolster. Right. I hold the steering wheel in a certain way so my palms don't, like, sweat on it and get rid of the perfect crinkle finish of the steering wheel. Like, I wash my hands before I drive it. Like, I've, I've never been this much of a bitch about any car I've ever owned. And it's a lovely car, and I'm a, I'm, I have been driving it. But, like, with the Ferrari, like, it's got 42,000 miles on it. It's not the original paint. Like, I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it, like, just kind of more fun. And totally. so why not invest in, a, in long-term usability so that the miles I do put on it are as enjoyable as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. And I, and eventually, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll get my money back out of it. Eventually. Uh, the mar, the market says if I got it back from Donnie after this and put it on fucking bring a trailer, I could probably make a profit. Uh, cause people are paying more for worse cars than mine. Uh, right now. Yeah, and you have full documentation on podcast, Instagram, everything of like, here's what was wrong, here's what yeah. was done, who's done by, and like that will make peop- a buyer yeah. feel very comfortable. Yeah, I don't want to sell it. I want to keep driving it. That's why I'm doing all this shit. If I wanted to sell it, I'd fucking dump it as is. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend this time or money doing any of it. So that's the uh, the Ferrari update. <laughs> Duct tape and mice, baby. Amazing. And really, really good, really good wiring. <laughs> um... GR Corolla just launched. Oh, it looks yeah. promising. 300 horsepower, all-wheel drive, hatchback. Uh, given that Subaru has abandoned the STI, I think uh, Toyota is in an excellent uh, position. It looks very good. And remember we drove the Corolla Sport mm-hmm. uh, hatchback, and it was really nice other than being slow? Yeah. yeah. Um, this this solves that. Look at that. I mean, that That's is a, cool a great-looking looking little car. The fender flares look good. Yeah. And it was, it was already a cool, like, angry-looking hatch, and now they just flared it a little bit. It's got fucking punch louvers on the on the hood. Um, this will be cool. Yeah. This will be a this will be a nice product. I think. I wonder where I it's be priced at because the, the Corolla we drove was like twenty six. I think it'll be forty grand. Yeah, if they're smart, it will yeah. be because they could if, sell it for that. Yeah, it'll be forty grand. Fill fill the hole left yeah. by the STI. I'm stoked to drive it though. Seems cool. 
Seems like it's going to be a good time. Do we have specs yet on power? It's like 300 horsepower, and uh, I want to say it was like 270-something torque. Okay. It should be good. Yeah. Does it say right uh, right there? Does it say? 300 horsepower, 273-pound torque. Nice. All-wheel drive system. There's an exhaust video, which is not coming up. Which is private, private for some reason. 50-50 front-rear power split, uh, up wow. to 70% of the power to the rear. Defaults to 50-50. Yeah. That is yeah, very yeah. good. Uh, unique wheels, vented hood, forged carbon forged carbon fiber roof. Neat. Torsen limited slip diff front and rear on the launch edition. Yeah. Yeah, that's legit. Default 50-50 cool. because, like, you know, the, uh, the Golf R does not default to 50-50. Neither did the Focus RS, et cetera. Yeah. Like, that's, that's strong. Yeah. I think, I think that'll be very interesting. I hope uh, Toyota thinks of the smoking tire when it comes to do the launch on that product. I think, I think yeah. they probably will. We have rally experience. We like all-wheel <clears throat> drive cars. We do. We like those things. Um, you know, this week we've got, or uh, next week, we've got the Elantra N coming in, which mm-hmm. should be very exciting. We've got the 765LT coming in, uh, Spider. That should be exciting. Yeah. I'm going to drive the Audi S8 in uh, Southern Cal- in, San, by San Diego Santiago. Uh, next week. There's a, we got a lot of cars coming we do. in. So. I'm going to go to the Range Rover launch. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, Let's get to some... Questions. Uh, this should be pretty pretty easy. Tim says uh, split between a 2021 CLA 45 and a 2012 991 Carrera S. Both cars are the same price. Daily driver, occasional track day. Um, the daily usability suffers with the outdated PCM on the 911, and upgrading seems annoying. Uh, the AMG has uh, several years left on the warranty. I mean, you could you could boil this down to: Do you need a back seat or not? I, I boil it to like: Do you need the do you need the, the warranty, warranty or not? Because yeah. if you if you can save a few dollars for the, per year to maintain the 911, yeah, the 911 is already bottomed or is going up in price, and the AMG is going to do nothing but depreciate for yeah. like several more years. Yeah, I, I I mean I agree. The 911 is going to be a much nicer thing to use. Assuming it doesn't have like a million miles on it, um, and overall, overall they are dependable cars. They are they're well made. Um, the engines aren't known for fucking exploding, um, and 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 they don't have horrible like known issues that mm-hmm. cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but you know, what's your budget for for repairs, and can you save that money? You know, the the nine eleven will be much nicer to use. The CLA is an okay car, but but it's it's a it's a hatchback with Mercedes interior materials, right? Basically, uh, Mike Diamore, uh, with the sudden discontinuation of the STI, uh, should I run out and buy one now and pay more than MSRP for a used 2021, or wait and hope the market cools down and possibly find an STI hatch that isn't beat to death? You know, there's other cars besides the STI, right? Like you don't have to have an STI. And like, they're not that great. They're not. Like they're okay. There's nothing. They're not like bad cars. But I've never driven really an STI where I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I have to have this. The 209 was really impressive. It was in terms of handling. Yeah. But forward thrust was the same as all yeah. the other STIs. And I don't think he is going to buy one of those just because. If you're looking at just over MSRP for regular or used one, you're not going to go for the sixty-five thousand uh, dollars two hundred nine. Uh, I mean, I'd buy a, I'd buy like a, uh, if you could find a great Hawkeye or something that that 
you know that at least is an investment grade car yeah um or i mean the same thing with the hatch like they don't make the hatch anymore and if you really like the hatch and you can find a nice one i wouldn't pay over for a a one-year-old one no i just feel like everything i know we can't time the market but it just feels like it's it just feels so risky to pay way over for a a one-year-old car right now yeah or, or to pay over for a subaru I mean, it's you're not getting some amazing, mind-blowing product. You're getting a, a, a good product that at MSRP is fine. It's not like the STI is not like some fucking game over car. Like they're all right. True, but I think I think the investment thesis for a lot of cars has surprised us. Like cars that were not game over cars have also gone up in value a ton. So maybe he's trying to play that game. I guess, you know? but yeah. I mean, we we two forty SXs like they got popular well, drifting. Yeah, I and mean, they are not that. They have one hundred and forty horsepower. No, I know, but that's but but that is a function of the fact that so many of them were cut up that they're just it's impossible to find a clean one. And whether you're a collector or you're building a race car, you this, those people both want the same thing. Right. So I think a, a clean hatch like. So many Subies were beat to shit and owned by assholes like myself. <laughs> yeah. I just saw a listing for a 98 or 99 2.5 RS coupe mm-hmm. with 57,000 miles on it, and it was 30 grand. Just a stock, stock 2.5 RS? Red gold. Yeah. And that is not that that is not a game over car. No. It's an, it's an NA motor. It yeah. doesn't have a lot of power. Nothing and, special about it in stock form. Right. Great basis to, to build something. But, you know... Not, the problem is it's somebody who wants to build an RSTI and has a hundred grand to blow on something fun will start with something like that. You, Do you know? remember when I, RSTI swaps were twelve grand? Yeah, yeah. Full complete car, and that's Done and that's the amount of car it feels like to it's drive. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you know, um, uh, Matt Cheseldine, follow up on the last one. The guy who was going to sell his big red Daytona and get a Rolex with the proceeds. Uh, he decided to get, oh, he thinks it would be cool if we both had matching Daytonas, so that's what I'm getting. All right, cool. There you go. Don't Can't turn down a free Daytona, especially if it's not a gift from, if it's a gift from your dad. Um, let's see. Uh, I Okay. Question is, with Subaru shifting towards consumer appliance type vehicles since their partnership with Toyota, uh, that was long before their partnership with Toyota. Uh, they've been making consumer appliance vehicles this whole time and one enthusiast <laughs> yeah, car. And the, le- uh, the legacy yeah. was a consumer appliance vehicle. Uh, will the transition to EVs result in Subaru going out of business? Uh, their competitive advantages are lower. Um, well, competitive advantages being lower uh are what enthusiasts look for. Yeah. Lower center of gravity, boxer engines, all-time, full-time, all-wheel drive. Uh, that's not why consumer most consumers buy consumer-grade Subarus. They buy them because they're simple. They're often a, a people, a lot of folks want a simple car. They don't want all the fucking bells and whistles. They want, they want something simple, proven, reliable, uh, dependable. They offer a lot of feature, features that aren't too advanced, but like, you know, heated seats with a button, mm-hmm. not some crazy, you know, touchscreen thing. They're very utilitarian um, and they're very comfortable. And there's also a lot of brand cachet built 
like baked into yeah. our generation, the one before us. Yeah, like that—that that is a really strong component right. of Subaru's success. Right. I think it'll continue even if when they go to EVs, people people are not that inclined to change brands. They're really not. Yeah. Like that's why our job is so hard of saying, oh, you like you've been a Nissan family. You should go check out this Honda. Yeah. And very rarely do people depart from that. Right. The, that's that is Subaru's customer to lose. Yeah. So unless their EVs suck. Yeah. Someone who's got a Forester or an Outback now, there's almost no reason to think that when they switch to EVs, their first consideration won't be the Subaru EV. Right. And then it becomes Subaru's game customer to lose. People, you know, Subaru offers not only a, a a level of simplicity and dependability that that other manufacturers don't necessarily offer, um, but they've got this sort of rugged image, the outdoorsy image. Uh, that someone who already owns a Subaru and like it, their first look is going to be a is mm-hmm. going to be a Subaru. Uh, Dan B, thoughts on King Seiko's, uh, and additionally, what do you think about Seiko's using high beats or spring drives from Grand Seiko? Uh, King Seiko is an interesting one. It's in between Seiko and Grand Seiko. It's an upgraded regular Seiko. Uh, and what do I think about Seiko's? They're 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 fine. Like. To me, there's a limit to how much money I would spend on a Seiko before consider before wanting it to be a grand Seiko. So like the Seikos I buy are like five hundred bucks. They're the, the dive watches and stuff like that. And then sometimes I'll have them customized uh, further for a couple hundred more dollars. But like I don't necessarily. But Seiko themselves offer watches that will use a grand Seiko movement or a King Seiko that will cost almost as much as a Grand Seiko. So once you start to get into the middle four figures, like these King Seikos are like $1,700. That's about the upper limit for what I would spend for a regular Seiko. If you pass two or three grand, you're getting into Grand Seiko territory. And you're, it's ma- it's handmade in a different factory. It's a much higher level of finishing. And so while I don't have like a problem with Seiko overlapping a little bit with the upper end regular models and the lower end Grand Seikos, I personally wouldn't spend my money. I wouldn't spend $5,000 on, on something that wasn't a Grand Seiko, um, partially because of the brand, but partially because it is made differently. Uh, in a different factory with different uh, standards of quality. But that doesn't mean these these higher-end regular Seikos are not high-quality products. They are very high-quality products. But but if I'm spending my money and it's 5000 bucks, then I want uh, then I want a Grand Seiko. Uh, what does this say? Amir K says, do you know the Bugatti released an EV Chiron available for purchase online for $7,000 and with a link to an Alibaba? Oh, that's Ooh. hilarious. Wow. It's like a golf cart with a Chiron body on it. Wow. The ride height is oh, so weird. Dude, Bo Bachman should buy this for Torchinsky. Yeah. Bro, that is the Torchinskiest mo- mobile ever. That's hilarious. That's so funny. You get in red or white. Not one picture of. It's got air conditioning. It wow. Seven grand. It's really funny looking. I'd love to see what the interior is. Yeah, I wish there was a photo. Of course, you can't Probably get the purpose. interior. The back. There's some is other so ones, funny. by the way. Look at these other little knockoff shit boxes on uh, on the similar similar vehicles. There's like a G a G wag a, G, a, B, <laughs> there's a like GBZ Merce- the Mercedes one. 
uh, that's pretty funny looking. Wow, that's kind of cool. Seven G's for this Chiron. I and bet you, could, you couldn't get that uh, plated in California. Maybe I, but you could. The golf cart thing you were talking about, oh, you could yeah, drive like maybe, a couple blocks away. Maybe you could. That would be funny. It would be kind of hilarious. It would be really funny. I would commute from my new house to the shop in that. My new house is like two miles from the shop. That would be funny. That would be really funny. <laughs> what if that was like our airport pickup vehicle <laughs> for the shop? <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? It's oh, an actual ID4. Dude, I thought it was a. I, that's I thought it was a so baby funny, dude. We send that shit to Torchinsky. That's hilarious. He would definitely buy that thing. He should. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike Manillo, is there video content from Snow Driving Experience in Steamboat? Uh, no. No. We have discussed it. That is done. No video. Uh, Tony Rodriguez Salgado, is it worth it to manually swap a new automatic sports car? The thing about doing manual swaps a new is. One. The reason it works in the Aston Martin and in the Ferraris, earlier Ferraris, and in the BMW is because you're not actually changing the gearbox. In those early single-clutch automated manuals like the Ferrari 355 and 360, the Vanquish, and the BMW E46 M3, you're not changing the transmission. Those cars have actual manual transmissions in them, just ones that are operated by a robot. That's often electronically controlled. So Tesla to, robot, right? Little, huh? It's a yeah, Tesla it's a robot. It's a humanoid there. robot. It's a humanoid yeah. under there. So to manual swap those cars, you're not really swapping anything. You're taking out the robotic mechanisms and then getting OEM interior bits and changing the interior over from automatic to manual. Um, and all three of those cars, it's the same thing: the Ferraris, the Astons, and the and the thing. If you have a car that never came with a manual and you're trying to put a manual in it, you have an uphill battle that is almost never going to be worth your time or energy. Yeah, and these days, if the automatic version of the car, let's say, comes with like a DCT, yeah. you can't change that to a manual. Right, you're talking about the or whole interior. Or like that's not going to be a manual. Yeah, the yeah. whole interior, the gearbox itself, you know, new, new a pedal box, a drive shaft, programming the engine to work with a manual like you you got to do a whole bunch of funky shit that it's not like there was another like you can sh you can switch to e46 bmw with the other software from the manual and the other pedal box from the manual the shifter from the man you can literally do it with oem parts um even the aston martin vanquish they made a few manuals from the factory like less than 50 but but the engineering is done you just have to switch the parts and we're talking about cars from the early 2000s so right. there's a lot less computing right there's and now if you if you for example i don't know if you're gonna get like an f80 m3 and you want to switch that over i don't know well, how that many came with a manual too right but, but there's so many layers of code in the yeah, engine yeah. so i think to marry that like that's the simple version of a new car but yeah. i think it's gonna be a lot more complicated yeah. than just bolting things in yeah it's very rarely worth it a guy on the road and track thing asked me about could he get an audi s7 and make it a manual and i said there's almost no chance that that will work um i i just I mean, the, the last closest manual gearbox you could get was from, like, the RS5 that mm -hmm. come from a couple years ago or possibly the S4. Um, but, like, it would be – you'd end you up could. with a $300,000 yes, Audi that. S7. Yeah. You know You're going to have mean? to pay AI design yeah. to reprogram the entire car and the yeah. computer to understand that it's using a Tremec now. Yeah. Like it's doable, yeah. but it's more expensive than you probably want yeah, it to you, be. Yeah, you'd, you'd go so far down a black hole – 
and you you don't even know what the end result would be. Right. You, you don't know, know how good it'll be. Yeah. And you, you also will never get that money back. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just you you might as well just buy a manual car, you know, that you you can get your money back later, you know. Yeah. Um uh, Steve Hamilton says, I've fallen in love with my 2022 Supra 2.0 and I'm looking to get into autocross. My major concern is something breaking and warranty work with being denied with competitive driving being the excuse. Am I overthinking this or should I wait and get a hoopty to start having competitive fun? I think it is highly unlikely that you would damage some component of your Supra in autocross. Autocross is pretty low stress when it comes to your car. Um, if you're not, if you're running a street tire, right, then you're not adding stress to the axles or anything or the mm-hmm. hubs beyond what the factory designed. You know, it's not like it's not like taking a stock car and putting slicks on it, right? You know, and running Daytona Motor Speedway, right? You're not going to crash it into a wall. You're you're not going to blow the engine. It's an automatic. You're not, you know. If you service the car and you have good fluids and clean oil and it's running properly um, and the car is stock or close to stock, um, I don't see any reason that you would break the car doing autocross. I really don't. Yeah. And I, I, I hope they wouldn't deny a claim if something did go wrong, like an engine malfunction, because if you keep the car stock – Especially like the drivetrain. Yeah, you know, if you don't add a tune to it, like Musto, Musto ran his Mustang with full slicks and everything, but he kept the drivetrain stock and yeah. he ran it as a track car because he wanted to be able to bring it in for warranty work for the engine. Right, and, and he never you, got denied. Yeah, and and the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act basically says that like it doesn't void the entire car's warranty. Like if you put a big brake kit on the car, that doesn't affect the engine. And so they'd have to prove that your 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 modification changed the parameters enough that it caused more stress and caused the problem that you bring. There's no blanket voiding of a warranty. That doesn't really exist. And so one um, is is that they'd have to first they'd have to find out you were autocrossing if mm. you broke the car. There's no autocross mode in the car. Um, and so, uh, don't tell them you were autocrossing. I wouldn't. Yeah, I you wouldn't just, say if you do something that I was autocrossing and broke this. You're it's, you're not under an obligation to disclose that. Mm-hmm. They would not. The odds of a dealership service advisor caring enough to follow up on that to then deny your claim is super low. Um, and the odds of breaking a brand new car, a, t- a one or two year old car in an autocross are very very low. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy your car. Enjoy your car. I wouldn't buy a second car just for autocrossing. Tyler M., top five recommended driving-related books. I wish I could say that I read books about driving a lot, but I... I, I read Speed Secrets. Uh, yeah, Speed and Secrets that was great. is good. Yeah. Um, uh, Twist of the Wrist is a good motorcycle book if you're yeah. into that. Um, I'm trying to get through chassis tuning. Uh, it is an engineering book, yeah. man. No, those Holy are, that's shit. A, that's a textbook. Holy shit. Um, it's disguised as a pamphlet. Yeah. It's a fucking textbook. <laughs> oh, I mean, I guess I just I just finished um, on the plane home from Newport. I finished Unsafe at Any Speed by, uh, by Ralph Nader, published in 1965. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It is amazing how it... it 
first off, it makes me understand why some people would and should take a very cynical view of auto manufacturers. Um, GM and Ford and Chrysler resisted to the fucking death making their cars safer, making their cars cleaner, allocating any resources at all towards studying safety. And they spent all of the 1950s and 60s blaming driver deaths on drivers as opposed to uh, the design of their cars. They, they literally, they basically did what Formula One did in the 60s, where they said, well, if you think this is so dangerous, slow down. That's what Formula One said. They're, Jackie Stewart went, um, you know, your tracks are really unsafe. And if people have a crash here, they die. And Formula One said, well, if you think this is so dangerous, just drive slower, which is a completely ridiculous thing to tell a racing driver. Mm-hmm. Ford and Chrysler, but especially General Motors, made, made unbelievable efforts to not make their cars safer. And All in the interest of profit and saving money, I assume. Yeah, well, they, they realized, and I think quite accurately, that they would spend all this money on having a, a new body style every year. It was about cars as status symbols. And so they'd spend millions and millions of dollars redesigning the front clip or the rear clip or the and wheels. And the tooling to build, to yeah, build those every new shapes. Year. Right. I mean, if you look at, the, at, at cars from the 50s and 60s, there's changes like every year, every two fucking years. It doesn't work like that anymore. You know, now a car looks the same for three or four years, and then there's a minor facelift mm-hmm. update, but fundamentally still the same. And 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 now we have, you know, there were no safety laws then. And people go, well, they don't build them like they used to. They don't look like they used to. Yeah, because the way they used to look, people would die. Right. Like because what they they have called the the first collision and the second collision. First collision is the car hitting something. The second collision is you hitting the inside of the car. Oh, Whether it's the steering wheel, the dashboard, the knobs, the mirrors, the visors, the fu- you know, they went, you know, these beautifully ornate design dashboards and gauge clusters. So many people died after coming into contact with, with metal with dashboards. Those. Yeah. Door latches that mm-hmm. don't that fly open in a crash. They don't stay locked. No standards. You know, and then you have things like anti lock brakes, which were invented in the nineteen thirties. What? Nineteen thirties was when ABS was invented. And not made standard until not like eighty fucking the eighties or dude. something like that. Yeah. I mean until a law said you have to do this. Uh airbags. Fucking this book in 1965 talks about airbags when airbags were standard in the 1991. I mean, it's like unbelievable. There's shit in this book. Emissions controls. This book's from the 60s. They talk about emissions controls that it took 10 more years to to get these things into cars. I mean, it's, it's stuff that already had been around and studied. And in some cases, the industry had patents on and then buried. I mean, it was crazy, crazy. Um, and now, and, and so you understand why someone like a Tesla would go, you, sh- you shouldn't trust the, the big automotive industry because look how shitty they've been. And I'll tell you what, they kind of have a point because they have been shitty. 
They've always done, but but I would say that Tesla is also resisting change brought about well, by other people. One hundred percent, because the the industry likes to make change when it's their idea and it will, they will benefit from it, right. usually financially. Yes, but when it's from a governing body right. or the public or something, obviously they don't want to do that. Correct. Yeah, and so you, I was the, I was going to say the flip side of this is on one hand you understand why Tesla can go these these are shitty companies. They're not going to advance the technology until they're forced. They're going to they're going to squeeze the customers. On the other hand, a lot of what is talking about here in in, in unsafe at any speed in terms of uh, in terms of the re- lack of regulations, the lack of oversight, the fact that the government is doing almost nothing to to regulate what is clearly very dangerous behavior on a corporate scale for massive profits. We see the same thing with aut- aut- automation right now, mm-hmm. and so while uh, while Tesla and 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 startups can say, you know, look at what these companies have been doing for fifty years, and and they have a point, you can now take the principles that are outlined in this book, fast forward sixty years, and it's the same shit again with uh, automation and 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 autonomy, and it's incredibly incredibly relevant. To read something like that today, um, it sucks that it's really expensive to get this book. Yeah. It's been out of print for a while. My my copy is the garbagest copy. It smells funny. It made my hands smell funny. Wow. Um, it looks. It's like it's been outside for a while. The covers come, and I had to spend eighty five dollars to get this book. That's so weird. They didn't reprint it ever. They fucking should. I mean, that's I mean, really... they did reprint it other times, but but I found, I literally bought the cheapest one I could find. A month ago, on the internet, and if you oh you can get it on Kindle, yeah you can definitely All get right. it digitally on Kindle for you know whatever it is eight dollars or something. I don't know what a book costs on Kindle. Wow. Yeah. Amazon paperback, paperback seventy five dollars. You know hardcover one hundred and fifteen. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Re- re- reprint this stuff. Yeah. So and, and by the, the way, machine. mine. If you open the front cover, there's a price tag on the inside of the front page that says one dollar. Yeah. Yeah, when new. MSRP. No, not when new. Like from like a used bookstore like recently, oh. like a couple years ago. And yeah. someone flipped it. Maybe that's the new investment. Forget so, E30s. I really, really, really recommend if you can if you can get it on Amazon or Kindle or if you can stomach the uh, the high price of it, um, Unsafe at Any Speed is an incredibly relevant book that you don't need to be a, a lawyer or anything to understand. It's just, it's a really, really, it explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Explains a lot about where we've been and and possibly where we're headed again. Yeah. Um, Blake Fi, did anyone take one of those old cars through a drive-through? That is the least interesting thing you could do with any car. I mean, truly, the most boring activity that you could do with any car, old or new, expensive or cheap, is do a drive-through bit. It just stinks. And we don't know if anyone did because we were so far behind. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, does uh, ins- car insurance cover roadside assistance? I assume you mean with a uh, with a 1902. Uh, probably. Yeah, probably. If, if you're have, driving, if it. you have Haggerty insurance on it, and yeah. you call roadside. Like they yeah. they were transported around on normal flatbeds. Yeah, strapped down. Like all the tow truck operators seemed extremely comfortable moving these cars. Like they loaded them up so fast. Yeah, the um, yeah. the the Audrain Museum had four flatbeds on standby. Yep, they did. Which they they got work in. Yes, too. they did. 
Uh, what is the emiss- inspection and emiss- emissions testing like with those cars? They are totally exempt. Totally. Yeah, they're literally, it's literally registered as a horseless carriage. I don't even think, I mean, there was an exemption for driving them on the street that day. You had to put this mm-hmm. veteran rally, pl- I, I think some of them weren't even registered. Some were. Some had actual plates on them. But the ones in the museum, I think, for that one day were exempted from even being registered. Yeah, it's yeah. their historic vehicle type thing. Yeah. Um. Oh, Mike Cabbage, I'm very sorry about your cat. Uh, it'll be very sad for a couple of weeks, and then it will slowly fade away. And I hope you adopt a new kitten um, once you're done grieving for your cat. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, the new Lotus Elytra? It's a it's a Elytra, right? Whenever we assume we know how to pronounce it, Lotus always says no, incorrect. So I think I... it's Elytra. Um, it's a uh, it's a super EV crossover. It uh, it has elements of the Urus. It has elements of the Avaya. Uh, I think it's better looking than the Urus. I, it is better I, looking I don't than like the, Urus. The, the, yeah. the angles that Urus has, but it definitely has the same like scowl countenance and, and the same like headlight to yeah. front fascia ratio, which yeah. is kind of surprising considering it's electric. The wheels but, remind me of Urus. Oh, yes, very much. Um, and the roof reminds me of Avora the back with the black cool. roof. Um, you know, here, the, here's the thing, right? The thing is going to be, can Lotus build a real car? Not a lightweight sports car with, air, you know, Last generation air conditioning and an Alpine double din stereo. You know, this thing's going to have to have a proper graphic user interface. It's going to have to have materials that feel luxurious. They're they're entering an incredibly competitive space. Um, I I, I'm assuming I will assume that they're going to get a lot of parts from other suppliers and assemble, like. The profile of this I didn't notice till just now looks a lot like iPace. Yeah, but so, it's longer. It's bigger. I mean, they could stretch it. Two hundred and one like, inches long, which is the length of a BMW X7. Are, like we don't know. Are they, I? I don't know. Maybe you do. Are they going to build their own motors and batteries? Probably not. Like they're going to get suppliers for those things. Of course. And then there's got to be suppliers for the user interface stuff. People that you know make the graphics and the programming. Like when we had the Lucid, I think it reminded me so much of Tycon. Like the fonts. And the speed of everything, like yeah. it looked a lot, and Audi, like I don't know if they're the same supplier, but it just looked very similar. Right. So, you know, it, I think the question is, can they assemble the right things to be competitive in yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it, that this is a real car. This mm-hmm. isn't like, like we give this a is lo- an appliance, a sporty appliance. Yeah, and like we give a lot of um, leeway to Lotus. Uh, for like the Avora GT, which I love. I think it's a fun ass car. It's it's engaging. It's light. It's usable. Um, but you start it with a key. It's probably the last car on sale that you start with a key. It's got a fucking double din Alpine radio. Uh, it's 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 not um, it's not world class when it comes to interior materials. Although it drives beautifully, um, it it's just that we we it's so charming, and it's not a 911 or a Cayman. You know, we give it a lot of leeway to be a Lotus, but they only sell like 1,500 of them a year or something. Mm-hmm. They need to sell thousands and thousands of these things. And so they need to be a real car. Well, this will be a really uh, interesting look into, I think, the future of automobiles where 
electric motors are simpler to make where they can buy them from someone else, battery packs, they can buy them from Panasonic. Right. Like, I think we're gonna see more of these small manufacturers moving into EV, which is then moving them into a more mainstream competitive space. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if they can execute. Because I think we're gonna see a lot more like new car companies like the Lucids and the Rivians right. also trying to do this because they no longer have to cast a fucking intake manifold. Right, yeah. Uh, we covered the GR Corolla, a Reno, uh, oh boy, Reno L. I I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last name. Loitile? Uh Thoughts on the new left-handed Rolex GMT? Uh, is this a product to fill a niche market that left-handed people demanded or a quirky variant of one of their more popular watches? Uh, as a left-handed watch wearer? Uh, I can speak to this. There's a, it's a new left-handed Rolex GMT. More importantly, it has what we call the Sprite bezel. So the, you know, that's there's a, there's Pepsi, which is blue and red. Uh, that's the one I have. Then there's Coke, which is black and red. And then there's what they call the Batman, which is black and blue. Mm -hmm. And then they've now got one they're calling that we will end up calling Sprite. That's black and green. I wish it was green and yellow, like actual Sprite. That would yeah. be fucking badass. Yeah, this is more like Celtics. Or yeah, this, yeah. This and yeah, Celtics or Starbucks. Aston Martin, green and black. Yeah, tires are black. Um, hmm. But it's left-handed, right? So the crown. Of, <laughs> well, there was already a Starbucks. The current really? Submariner they're calling Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is a full green bezel with a black dial. This is a half green bezel with a black dial. So left-handed, right? So the date window's on the other side. Mm -hmm. The, the winding crown is on the other side. Uh, Panerai has been making left-handed watches for a while. Uh, there's also a few other companies that have done lefty watches. Uh, I've, I've tried on a couple lefty watches, and I've found them to not be particularly desirable. Um, people would talk about oh well you so the idea is if you wear the watch on your right wrist you can adjust the crown using your left hand whereas i right when i adjust my watch i take it off and i'm just me but like i don't set i the, do both i don't really set the time with it on my wrist i take it off to do that i then. do sometimes but my wrist is able to bend right. so i i use that function um it would be easier i understand that I guess I guess it would but I don't really like looking at the dial being the other way I don't want the date I, if it was just the crown on the other side but the dial was the same then I would be like alright but I don't want the date window being on the other side hmm. um, I think it looks it looks a little weird so it's not really for me um, they'll sell these things will be fucking 20 grand over because they're probably they well, they'll make you know, a fifth as many as the other right. one, and then people will want it just to have it. And especially because the the dial, the the bezel color is different, you'll be able to see that it's different. It's I bet you that if Rolex said you have to demonstrate that you're left-handed, like you have to come That'd in. That'd be funny. You have to come in and write 500 words with your left hand. Write seven words in cursive. Yeah. <laughs> With your left hand. Can you write, I'd like to buy this watch, please? Yeah, that's and how you does get it. it. And but then write it with your other hand. But that's not how they're going to do it. Funny. If you if, if it was literally four left-handed people, but it's not. Like every other Rolex, it's for their best customers only. We Here's a steak knife. Yeah. Please cut this cheese yeah. using your uh, opposite hand. And right. you will be able to buy it if you've already bought 35 watches from this authorized dealer or at a $20,000 markup. Um. Okay. 
Let's see. Uh, Joshua Lampson, old sports cars versus motorcycles on safety. Uh, over the past couple of years, I've gotten into motorcycles. I'm blown away by the price for performance available in the market. I've gotten pushback from some of my friends saying they're unsafe and would never get one. However, they're driving cars from the 90s that have none of the safety features my bike has. I find this interesting because they're worth about the same money. Uh, is someone on a modern bike in full gear safer than someone driving a 90s sports car? No. Fuck no. No. Not even close. You uh, can't fall no. off a car. Yeah. Like, straight up. You can't, if a rock gets kicked up in front of you and you're in a 92 Jetta yeah. and it hits the windshield, it cracks the windshield. If it hits you in the neck on a, on a sport bike and you're going 80 miles an hour, like, it's going to feel very different. If I you're leaned down in a corner and there's gravel in the corner, you then wreck your motorcycle. Yeah. You, you then, you're now you sliding the on the ground. Zone. That's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. I, I think you're speaking more about traction, which still, no, like you only have two traction circles, whereas the car has four. Um, if you hit, yeah, if you hit a piece of surprise ice with either of those tires or um, a friend of mine, a friend of mine was riding at 10 miles an hour and went to turn into his own driveway. It was drizzling in Colorado and he had to turn over the bike lane and his front tire went over the white paint and he immediately low sided at 10 miles an hour. His Hyundai Accent, which he had at the time, which also had no ABS and traction control, yeah. had never spun out and crashed yeah. turning into that same driveway in the yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, so ABS and traction control on modern bikes don't re. It, they make them a little safer, but like they really just improve. They make the performance a little more accessible. Yeah. Right. You can brake at a threshold level without locking a wheel. You can go harder into the throttle without losing traction. Doing, yeah, doing a wheelie. But it's but that's that's a smaller percentage of how people die on motorcycles. I mean, you, the fundamental danger of motorcycling, like if you watch MotoGP, these are the best riders on the planet, yeah. and they know how to manage everything. And and they are at the limit. Yes, but they will slide, and then they the wheel catches, they high center. I mean, that's how Mark Marquez got so hurt. Like yeah. you go flying, yeah. and then you're and even on, on the a track, ground. like even on a, a motor like MotoGP tracks are designed so that if you fall off the bike and slide. Your yes. gear will keep your skin on your body, but you also don't hit something. Right. It's getting off, falling off the bike and sliding. The gear will keep your skin on your body, but then you hit a K-rail or a telephone pole or a tree right. or another car. I have no abrasive scars from my crash, yeah. but I broke 20 bones. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. So, so no, your, uh, a your 90 sports car flawed. is much, much safer than a motorcycle. But I'm glad to hear that you're wearing your gear, and you should definitely wear your gear, and you should ride responsibly, and you should be as safe as you can. Motorcycling now is safer than it used to be, mm -hmm. but it's still really, really dangerous. And they're developing like the airbag suits and stuff. Yeah. I think the, the racers use them a lot, and yeah. that stuff's all really cool, yeah. but you know, it's still a long way off. Uh, Tom Hendricks wants to discuss my steer-by-wire tweet this, con this morning. So Toyota has shown a concept with a fucking yoke. Right? Mm -hmm. They're breeding. So <laughs> Tesla puts this yoke steering wheel in the car, right? The implication is they want you, and it's not even it's not even a subtle implication. It's an outright implication because that's what Franz von Holzhausen said on Spike's show, and I listened to it, that they are that they put this yoke in because pretty soon we won't need to steer. That's pretty soon the car is going to do all the driving. So we know we no longer need this, which is 
complete horseshit. I mean, that's an unbelievable lie. It's just not true. Okay. But because the old car companies are completely uncreative, uh, they see Tesla doing something and they think that's the new trend and we need to get in on that trend, mm-hmm. which is dumb as rocks. So they have this com- they have this concept and it's called like a some alphanumeric FZB4X or some shit. I, I, I don't know what it actually is, but but it's got they showed a concept and it's got a fucking yoke in it. Okay. Now the problem with the with this is to make a better yoke, like the reason the yoke is bad is because you have to turn a wheel around and around, right? In the case of the Model S, I believe it's uh, 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 270 degrees. Mm-hmm. Okay. To have a good yoke, the reason yokes are good in a Formula One car or an airplane is because you're never more than 90 degrees. I think even I think even in Monaco, a Formula One car might have to go a little over 90 degrees. They occasionally degrees. cross their arms over, but like, very tight turns. Yeah, right. Yeah. Very tight. And it's like pulling out of the garage and then the one hairpin in Monaco. And that's it. Other than that, you're you're here to here, 90, 90 degrees each way, mm-hmm. right? Airplane, same thing, 90 degrees each way, never more. So <laughs> Hand over hand. Imagine hand over hand in an airplane. <laughs> so that's why a yoke is okay, right? So Toyota has tried to fix the yoke, the problem with the yoke, not by saying yokes are stupid because you have to go hand over hand, but by changing the steering rack to electric steer by wire in order to make the yoke concept work, which is a horrible decision because steer by wire is bad. To not have a mechanical connection between your hands and the road is bad for a variety of reasons. One is steering feel. Um, Two is fail safe. I mean, most importantly is fail safe. If this system fails, uh, if you're, if you're, um, if your uh, throttle by wire fails, okay, well, you, you lose power in the car, which, which sucks, but like- you stop. But you come to a stop. Right. If the brake by wire system fails, there is a hydraulic backup on that. So, so the, there, the, you're still operating a booster, right? There's, a, there's an actual backup to that. But if there is no mechanical steering connection to the front wheels and that system fails, you have lost steering. Um, airplanes have steer by wire, but but mainly because of well, they usually have redundant or triplicate systems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, because it, it it makes it easier for the pilots and the autopilot systems in airplanes to to do it. Um, and and there because an airplane costs millions and millions of dollars, there's no big deal in having a a full backup system uh, to that multiple redundancies. But at the price of a car, how many redundancies are we willing to put in for this? And so there are a couple people who have presented reasonable arguments that eliminating a steering column entirely, could you, it could be safer because there's no steering column at all. Now, I would argue that collapsible steering columns and airbags have mostly negated this position, right. mostly. Yeah. I'm not a super expert on that, but but I can't imagine that whatever safety is improved by whatever percentage by having no steering shaft 
is somehow correctly offset by having no steering shaft. And, and is the plan here that the ratio would be so fast that yes. you're only turning this 90 degrees? Yes, that is the plan. Ooh, I mean, I. Yeah. That's also we've not. We've driven good. cars with really quick racks and like. Well, it would. It, no, that it would change. The ratio would change depending on your speed. That's that's really the other one. So that, yeah. So that if you went 90 degrees at parking lot speeds, it would cha- it would steer this much, and if you did it on a highway, it would do it less. Mm. Which is not good. It's just, I mean, there's we already have progressive racks, which I'm I'm not a huge fan of. My car has one, or the E46s have them. Um, but you get used to it because there's so much rotation. But now, if it's only you know 90 degrees, yeah. So sometimes you're at 20, and sometimes you're, and that's turning you, making a U-turn, and sometimes 20 degrees is just gently bringing you from lane to lane. Right. That seems like a really difficult adjustment for a lot of people. Right. And so, again, it's why was this necessary? Yeah. So instead of just saying. If you're going to spin something round and round, the best shape for that is a round is round or a, or round adjacent. You know, like I get it if it's got to be if it's not a perfect circle or if, you know, you 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 know, like I don't like the Corvette square wheel, but like at least if you go to grab something like it's there. Um for Tesla to go, well the yoke is better for visibility, it implies you can't build a good gauge cluster. Mm-hmm. It also imp- tries to imply that you won't need to actually steer the car at some point in the future, which may be down the road, maybe, 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 but certainly not in the life cycle of a Model S you're buying today. And also, you might go to grab something in an emergency maneuver and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So rather than just other... Rather many- than letting Tesla just fail with this idea. Yes. I think, everyone I think, else yeah. is following them into stupid land. Right. And they're, and they're looking at Tesla's success... Tesla is not successful because of the yoke. I think some people bought the yoke because they thought it was cool. Yeah. But most people bought a plaid because they wanted the fastest yeah. EV around and they deal with the yoke. I've never heard one person say the yoke is better. All the best I've ever heard from anybody is you get used to it, which does not that's not good design. That's bad design. And this seems like it'd be really hard to get used to because I'm I'm just imagining if you're like in stop and go traffic and you're used to uh, turning this thing 90 degrees to get out of a parking spot, and then you accelerate to get around a car. Every mile per hour you're increasing to get around that car to move into a different lane. Like, do you have to reduce the angle of your steering? Yeah, I don't Whereas know. normally we're used to just going, okay, I'm going around it, and I bring it out. Like, it just seems like there are so many, like, if-thens that you yeah. have to program in your own brain yeah. and constantly adjust. You're making someone relearn how to drive instead of meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? It's a really complicated thing. Yeah. And so this is so, and and then you have the idea of there is no mechanical connection to the fucking wheels. And if this system fails, you are in a world of trouble. I mean, it ha- they have to have a redundant system in there because there's no way like they haven't had that discussion. Um, but it just seems, it just seems so unnecessary. Yeah. It seems so complicated. It's fixing something that's been fairly simple and reliable for. We have an expression: reinventing the wheel. Hundred years. Yeah, yeah. it's un un fucking necessary. So that is, that is the explanation of my tweet. Uh, is uh, any other bloke now that Zward has revealed he isn't responsible for kills bugs fastly be changing the door sills? No, uh, no. It's a it's a still a iconic Porsche ad. I didn't do it for Jeff. I did it because it was an iconic Porsche slogan. Um, that I thought Jeff was responsible for or involved with. I, I was disappointed to learn he wasn't, but it's still very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Luke Taylor, last question. Uh, did we enjoy doing the live show uh, in Newport? I thought it was interest, an interesting experience. Um, I liked it. There for were sure. aspects of it I definitely enjoyed. Um, there were other aspects of it that I think could be refined. I mean, you know, because Zach was very prepared, we had no technical difficulties. Uh, allegedly, although it hasn't aired yet, as far as we know, the system worked just fine. Yeah. Um, we can fit everything we need to do a live show in a, in one suitcase, mm-hmm. which is good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do think that the people who did come, I mean, it was about 25 people. It was not a lot, but it seems like they enjoyed themselves. Um, you know, I, I the one thing I was always concerned about doing live shows and and – I'm I'm still concerned with about doing live shows is if someone's going to pay money to come and see you in a theater or something, you really want to put on a show. You know, you want it to be, uh, you need, you need something react, you know, you need the audience to have things to react to. You don't, I don't just want it to be a regular show. And although Donald was a great guest and we had a fun time with him, I think if we do it live shows in the future, it really needs to have like, a comedian um, there to to keep that energy uh, up high and and laughing and stuff like that to where the audience really feels like they had an experience. Um, that doesn't mean it wasn't a nice experience. I mean, the people you you know you by the time this goes up, I hope you guys will have listened to the show with Donald. And there's certainly funny moments, um, and and it's interesting. And and Donald is a great guy and a great guest. Um, but I would want it to be more than just a regular show. Like when I we went to see the Dollop live, and it's like that's a comedy show. So there's 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 real like moments of laughter like you'd have with a stand up. Well, that's because the podcast is a comedy podcast, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. So like I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like why like would I go see a political podcast or a sports podcast or whatever live, and like. I would want there to be a reason to do that, you mm-hmm. know, more so than just you're getting what you get on the radio show. You know? I would definitely like to try to make it work. I think it's a, I think it was fun and a, a step into that experiment that like I've been thinking about for a while. Um, and I agree with you. I think there's just ways we can format it both through like the outline of the show yeah, and then also who's on it where we can make it a little bit more special than just watching a, our podcast get taped. Yeah. And then, you know, make it a fun event for people. And I think it'd be cool if we could get a venue where there's a parking lot so it could be a car show element right. to it, you know, yeah, before that or afterwards. That too. Like, that would be rad. <clears throat> and I also, like, one thing I do when guests come here that I didn't do a good job of in Newport was, like, I don't really talk to the guests much before we start recording. And... And I tell people that I'm going to do that so they don't think I'm an antisocial asshole. It's because you get a lot of good natural conversation when with the guest, and I don't want to waste that and then either have to repeat it or forget it on the show because we already did. So Donald was, you know, came to the venue like an hour before the show. And so we sat around drinking coffee and bullshitting for an hour uh, in some cases with the the, the audience, right, they were yeah. they were hanging around too, and so some of the things we talked about were very funny and interesting that I wish were in the show 
But because we already had that conversation, not just with me and Donald, but in front of everybody who was there, I didn't go back to it. I didn't revisit it. And so I would want to to not. Well, we could safeguard that if we if we have an outline for the live show of you know topics roughly, yeah. and just when someone comes in, be like, all right, let's just. And we've done that here, yeah. Where we start talking to Tom or whoever Johnny, and we're just like, wait, wait, let's talk about something else. Yeah. And then we go, all right, and we look at each other, and then we go, how are your cats or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we find something else to do. So yeah, yeah. that or like just like be gone until it's like tell the guests like don't show up until two minutes before showtime you know or whatever um but uh but the people at the audrain are so nice and so hospitable you know david donahue the very famous racing driver was like fucking a pa for us that was so weird they were like david's the av guy went all right and they didn't say the last name yeah and then i was like wait i remember we f- I feel like yeah. I filmed a bunch of times for different. You're a super projects. famous racing driver. Yeah, and he's like, "Do you need more extension cords? Like, what the fuck are you doing here, man?" And he was, and he was all about it. He wanted to make. Yeah, it no, perfect he was great. He was a racing driver. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and we're gonna get it. We're gonna get him on the show when we see him at Pikes Peak because he's racing at Pikes Peak. Um, but he was like literally being a PA, and and he's like legendary racing driver. Yeah, he was being a PA wearing his 24 Hours of Daytona winner. Watch so strange, <laughs> yeah. so surreal. Kind of surreal, yeah. Um, it was it was fun though. I thought it 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 it. I don't know if it went it went kind of like I thought it was going to go, but like it could have been a total disaster, and it was definitely not a total disaster. No, I don't think no, it was at all. No, it was good. Uh, I'd I'd like to do more, but I think there's we'd have to do some planning and some tweaks and whatever to make sure that if you're actually paying to see it, that you're getting a, a show, you know. Um, so yeah, that's our that's our crew show today. Um, thank you all for listening. We have uh, I don't think we're we're not here tomorrow. Or, no, no. But we have four shows next week. We have shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Nice. Next week we got uh, Papa Docket. Wait, who's on Monday? Nobody Monday. I fly. Oh wait, no. Is it John Oates? Is John Oates Monday. We have John Oates, Stefan Papadakis. We've got Bozy and Alanis. And regular cars, yeah, all next week, which is a fucking pretty pretty strong lineup yeah, going is. on. So That's cool. stick around for that, and have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you later.